Welcome to these continuing studies from the book of Acts. This time we are in chapter 13. We started this study several weeks ago explaining that we are taking one chapter in the book of Acts for each class. We are at almost the halfway point in Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to start with four fast facts. Number one, early in the book of Acts, Luke reports the spread of the gospel in and around Jerusalem. At this point, an expansion begins, taking the gospel to Jews and Gentiles in distant areas. Number two, this begins those narratives we refer to as the missionary journeys. There will be focus on the work of the Apostle Paul and be watching for local churches beginning and continuing in places where people obey the gospel. The first reading will be Acts 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pause here and notice the diversity of men who are involved with the church at Antioch. And I should remind us we are in Antioch in Syria. Barnabas we remember as the encourager sent to Antioch by the church in Jerusalem. Simeon called Niger was likely from Africa, and this may be the same man who wanted to help Jesus with his cross in Luke 23:26. Lucius of Cyrene, also from the northern African coast, Manaen was a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and then there is Saul. We remember his conversion back from chapter 9. Beginning in this chapter, he is called the Apostle Paul. So God has assembled a team of men who will be devoted to the spread of the gospel, mostly outside of Jerusalem. They are in Antioch of Syria before the journey begins. They were preparing for their future work and challenges by worshiping and fasting, engaged in these good disciplines when the Holy Spirit called them to duty, setting apart Barnabas and Saul for a specific work where they would be sent off with the gospel out through the Mediterranean. We arrive now at verses 4 through 12. 4 through 12, Acts chapter 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as, uh, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, 
a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I think at this point in Acts chapter 13, the best way to picture what Luke describes is to use a map. And this map shows all of Paul's first missionary journey. We will be coming back to this map as we continue in Acts chapter 13 and the chapters beyond. By the way, a footnote here, Barnabas was a native of Cyprus. Now, geography just helps us get the picture of movement. Uh, what you should underscore in verse 5, what their work was as they journeyed, or the reason for this trip, they proclaimed the word of God. In the synagogues, where there were Jews who believed in God, they told the people about Jesus the Christ. Luke seems to pause in the travel journal from time to time to give us an example of their encounters with people, like this man, Bar-Jesus, who was associated with the proconsul, whose name was Sergius Paulus. We have two people here, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, the governor of the region, and next to him, this false prophet, Elamus, also called Bar-Jesus. The proconsul asked to see Paul and Barnabas. And Luke tells us he was a man of intelligence who sought to hear the word of God. The Jewish false prophet, Bar-Jesus, also called Elamus, kept his eyes and ears open to all of this. And if I may describe it like this, as Paul and Barnabas spoke the truth from God, Elamus contradicted what they said, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Saul, who here in verse 9 is called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit to respond in this manner, 10 and 11. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So, 
it says in the next statement there that the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, and then it says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I think it's important to understand Paul's strong language in this context. The false prophet was not a man who was simply asking questions. This was not a man who was a passive unbeliever. He was directly opposing what the apostles were preaching, and he was seeking to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. So the Holy Spirit knew Elamus had been doing this long before Paul and Silas showed up. Look at the phrase in the NIV, will you never stop? Elamus had opposed truth before, and he didn't stop when the gospel was preached. Paul responded as moved by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, and then it says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. First missionary journey, good results. Paul's first missionary journey continues over through the end of chapter 14. I want to take us next here in chapter 13 to verses 13 through 41. We have a great opportunity here to read, to listen to a sermon delivered by the Apostle Paul in Antioch in Pisidia. Started out with Antioch in Syria. Now we are at Antioch in Pisidia. And we are in Acts 13, and we are continuing the reading at verse 13, down through verse 41. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. 
as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us who have been sent the message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfill them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Paul's Sermon in Antioch in Pisidia, a masterpiece, perfectly suited to the occasion and just a valuable model for preachers to craft sermons that are powerful. Here's what Paul did. He begins by affirming what his audience knows well that God has already done and promised. Paul begins with what they knew about their own history, and this becomes his point of contact with these people, therefore his opening, about God building his nation, caring for the people, making promises to them, and specifically Paul referenced that God said of the offspring of David, the Messiah would come. 
that history, his audience knew, led to this affirmation or proposition in verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So Paul starts with what they knew, what they were familiar with in their own history with God. He takes them right to the promised Savior. He is announcing he is here. He speaks to them of the Savior on earth. I want you to listen again in Acts chapter 13 at verses 23 to 25. Acts 13, listen again, 23 to 25. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Then Paul takes his sermon to the salvation the Savior died for everybody to have. Verse 26, this is the message of salvation I'm delivering, Paul said, and it's packed with prophecy and scripture. Paul preaches the gospel. Jesus, the innocent, died for the guilty. God raised him from the dead. Conclusion, verses 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then a final warning in Paul's sermon. Beware, lest what the prophet said about unbelievers you fulfill. This is an excellent example of the function of a sermon. You start with what the people know. From that truth, you take them to sin, the guilt of sin, then you take them to the Christ, you help them understand the certainty of who Christ is and what he did. Based on this, you tell people they can be saved from their sin, and you invite their response, and you warn them of unbelief. And then you make yourself available to them for follow-up study. Verses 42 and 43. And they went out. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. I'm going to keep going now at 44. Acts 13, 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city to stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drive them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. These are people with good and honest hearts, the ones who are responding, who want to hear about the grace of God. They want to know the gospel and change their lives. There are others in the Jewish community who are more like Elamus. They opposed what Paul and Barnabas are doing, and it becomes a significant turning point with more persecution as they attempt to drive them out. But then Paul and Barnabas turn to the Gentiles, and that's how chapter 13 comes to an end. The gospel is spreading among Jews and Gentiles. The disciples are filled with joy, even as persecution continues. We're ready for our takeaways. I have several. I'll deal with each one briefly. I want to start with something very simple. Where there were Christians in areas, there were local churches. I'm concerned for people who seem to want to be Christians, but without association with any other Christians. I know people like that, and maybe you know people like that. They want to have nothing to do with any other Christians, yet they want to fulfill in their lives what the New Testament says about being a Christian. When I have opportunity to talk to people with this mentality, I often take them to the table of contents of the New Testament. There are letters written to local churches. It becomes clear. Christians worked and worshipped together with each other and edified one another. They were associated together. That becomes clear all through the book of Acts. Number two, when people want to hear the word of God, no matter the opposition, we are obligated to respond. Preaching the word may in some cases be accompanied by risk, by danger. But we are guilty of neglect if people want to learn the truth and we do not act, perceiving some threat or some risk. These men who went out from Syria knew they would face difficulties and threats and hostility. They preached the gospel anyway the best they could everywhere they went, and people responded. That's an example of the courage of faith. Number three, don't impulsively get in the habit of repeating Paul's words to Elamus. I remember when I was a young preacher in my mid-twenties or something like that, and I remember reading something like this and saying to myself, if Paul could use this kind of language, then I can. And then I needed to rethink that. I'm not an apostle. 
I can deliver the same message Paul delivered the gospel of Christ, but I'm not an apostle. The Holy Spirit doesn't directly give me words as he did for Paul. We need to be cautious about just repeating phrases, calling someone a son of the devil. Better for us to just tell people the truth of the gospel and avoid the thought that we are just like the apostles, that we are just as gifted as they were. Number four, note Sergius Paulus was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I want to say two things about that. People cannot be astonished at something they have not heard. So when it says he was astonished at the teaching, the implication is he heard that teaching. Two, we cannot know for certain how people will react to the teaching of Christ until we give them that teaching. I know this has come up before in our study of Acts. We've had a lot to say about unlikely prospects. I stress that because of our propensity to judge people as to their responses to the gospel and form negative judgments and not do the teaching at all. We're just not that smart. Our desire should be to get the teaching of the gospel out there the best way we can through whatever platforms and venues that we have, rather than the assumption that it will not make an impression because of our thoughts about that person. Number five, while you may not ever do any public preaching, you can learn a lot about studying the structure of Paul's sermon in Pisidian Antioch. You can learn a lot about how to approach people and talk to people. How you present the message must take into account the people in the audience and where they are whether it be one or two or a family or a crowd. Sometimes you need to start with the proposition that there is a God and give the evidence for that. With others who already believe in God, we may need to start at some other place, maybe about the inspiration of Scripture or the deity of Christ or the authority of Christ. Paul crafted a sermon that was suited to the people he was addressing. His sermon was structured, it, was, it moved in sequence, and he took them to the truth about Jesus. That's how it's done. Find the right initial point of contact. Number six, never talk to alien sinners and leave out the essential truth about Jesus Christ. When we teach someone the gospel, it is our sacred duty, whatever else we teach, to be certain we teach the truth about who Jesus is, what he did, and how the blessings of salvation can be received. There may be a lot of other teaching that new Christians will need to hear after they've been baptized. It is a mistake to try and cram everything into somebody's head in 35 minutes. But part of that mistake is talking to people about everything else and not getting down to the initial truth they need to hear about who Jesus is and what he did and how they can respond to him. Number seven, we must be clear about this. Jesus provides what could not be provided by the law of Moses alone. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, listen to this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed 
from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Number eight, I want to bring up that phrase again in verse 43, continue in the grace of God. This simply states what one must be concerned about after baptism and until death. When you were baptized, you received salvation by grace. After baptism, you continue in the grace of God by living an obedient life as a disciple of Christ. And then finally, in verse 46, look at that phrase, judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. When the gospel is presented and rejected, or when the gospel is initially accepted, then there is apostasy. The awful thing is, one has judged himself unworthy of eternal life. Well, thanks for visiting this YouTube channel for our continuing studies through the book of Acts. These are presented by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen. And next time, we will be in Acts chapter 14. Thank you.